Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Y'all pumped up and excited? Man, I am so proud of you guys. I love being the pastor of this church. Uh, I love being the pastor of this church. And honestly, so much of that has to do with, with you. Um, de- December, boy, I challenged the fire out of y'all in December, didn't I? Did it hurt just a little, maybe? Um, <clears throat> if those of you that are brand new don't even know what I'm talking about, just to challenge this church to give so much, we started a capital stewardship campaign. And, and uh, when did we start that? September? October? This year. In the last couple of months. And uh, so we're challenging you to give. And one of the reasons that we want you to give is so that we can be debt-free. And uh, we want to work toward that so that we can just give more money away. And then I challenge you, you know, Christmas, we come to Christmas, we're already in, tw- in, a, in a campaign to raise money. And then, and then I, I say, we got to do 25 days of Christmas. And I'd like for you to give a little bit more, if you don't mind. And, and you guys have been amazing. And so you've responded. And you would think, honestly, through that, the fear was, was our, our tithe and offering will just like, you know, bottom out at nothing. And really, December's been a, been a pretty good month, even for tithes and offerings. So I just think you should give yourself a hand. <laughs> well, ho, 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 ho. You feel a little weird because like you're clapping for yourself. Play like it's the person beside you. Woo! You know? You can look at him and say, you're amazing. Some of y'all just really aren't getting into this at all. It's the person you're beside. (laughs) Well, it's a couple of days before Christmas. It's hard to believe, isn't it? This is our last Sunday together before the big day, and I guess you're here today to hear about baby Jesus. Why are y'all looking at me like that? I mean, of course you're here to hear about baby Jesus, because every church, I mean, the one thing that all churches this morning have in common, every pastor while, you know, the other Sundays of the year, we may be in different places, some in the New Testament, some in the Old Testament. I mean, we're all over the, all over the map when it comes to, to topics and subjects and things that we'll be preaching on. The one thing that you know for sure is that when you show up at church on Sunday morning before, East, before Christmas, we're going to talk about baby Jesus, right? Today we're going to talk. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking. So the, the question is, if you've been doing this for a while, the question is, you know, so where do we begin? Where do we begin and how do we tell this story? Because here's my thing today. What I want you to hear, what you may hear is not necessarily new information, but I will, what I hope that you do hear is hear the passion with which I'll communicate it. Because for me, Christmas and Easter, wow. I mean, that's it. And, and what happened on Christmas and what happened on Easter has radically changed my life. I'm not here for any other reason than I, my life has been radically changed by the power of God. I say the power, you know what? Honestly, it's, it's His love. And if I never saw any more power from Jesus, if, I never, if He never like worked another miracle or ever did anything big, 
Honestly, for me to think that God would love somebody like me, it's enough. At the end of the day, for me, i got to be honest, it's just enough. That's enough. So where do you begin in telling this story? One of the greatest theologians that ever lived, a, a man by the name of Karl Barth. Now, you've probably never heard of Karl Barth, most of you. If you have, raise your hand. Three of us. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I'd never heard of him either until I went to seminary. How many of you even know what seminary is? <laughs> it's a place where pastors go to die. No, I'm just kidding. That's not it. <clears throat> I just made that up right off the cuff. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Anyway, so when I was in seminary, you know, I heard all about this guy. And, like, he was, when it came to theologians, he was the man. He was, no doubt, the man. And one time he was asked to be a guest lecturer at the University of Chicago Divinity School. And at the end of this very captivating lecture, because he was known for communicating these very deep theological truths, but making them incredibly simple for common folks like us to be able to understand it. And at the end of this incredible presentation, he was, he was not feeling well. And the president of the seminary shared that with everybody and said, you know, I know that he's, he's, uh, he's really up for some questions, at least he's open for questions, and I really don't think he's up to it as far as the way he feels, because he's, he's not feeling well. So I, he said, you know, if I could, I'm just going to ask him one question on, on behalf of all of us. And so he said, you know, Dr. Barth, I just want to ask you one question. Of all the theological insights that you've ever had, you're a deep man. We all know that you're a deep man. We all have learned from these deep insights that you've had to theological truth. Could you share with us, which one do you consider to be the greatest theological truth of them all? And Dr. Bart closed his eyes, and he thought for, him for a minute. And then, and then there was a smile on his face, and then he opened his eyes, and he said, the greatest theological insight that I've ever had is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's it. It's just that simple. The most profound truth, the most simple truth, and yet the most profound truth, and the one truth that will radically change your life if you, if you ever get it. And I know it's church, and sometimes Christmas, we, we lose the power and the meaning of Christmas because we're so busy. I get that. You expected to hear that this morning. Every pastor's probably saying that, right? But it'll change you if you ever get it. C.S. Lewis once said that we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. So Christmas is a reminder of why God came. Why He came wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. John 3.16, still the simplest verse in the Bible. The most quoted verse in the Bible. And yes, still it's packed with so much truth that sometimes we forget that because we just quote it. For God so loved the world. And that word world in the original language means the triple X-rated world, the dirtiest, most perverse world that you could possibly imagine. God so loved that world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, and, and that just says it. That says it all. That Jesus loves me, this I know. And his birth and his death proves it. So Christmas is a celebration of God displaying his love for the world through the birth of his son, Jesus. Christmas defines God as love. 
God is love. And his timing was perfect. According to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah actually made this statement 740 years before the actual birth of Jesus. His timing was perfect. But to most of us, we would probably think his timing was a little off. A lot of people lived and died looking for the coming of the Messiah. I was raised to somehow think that that Jewish people were spiritually insensitive. How in the world could, could there be a group of people, God's very own people, that would deny Christ being the Son of God? Well, if you've been waiting for 740 years for the promise, right? The song we sang just a few moments ago, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. Well, what if you never saw that promise fulfilled? What, what if you never saw that? 740 years passed, and they didn't see the promise fulfilled. And if you'll read and study, not only was there a group of people that died still looking for the promise to be fulfilled, there was another group of people that completely gave up on their faith altogether. And I tell you what, when I think about that, when I process that, when I take off my religious lens and my churchy glasses, when I think about that, I go, you know what? That makes perfect sense to me. Because there's probably somebody here this morning that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to show up and do something in your life, right? You've been praying, looking for a miracle, looking for God to do that one thing that only God could do, and God hasn't done it yet. He hasn't saved your marriage. You don't have a better job. You still can't pay your bills. And you're beginning to wonder if God, the promise keeper, really is a promise keeper. In fact, you might even wonder if he even exists at all. And you're here this Sunday because... After all, it's the Sunday before Christmas, and you're supposed to be. Maybe you've been waiting on God to show up, and you've been tempted to give up because God still hadn't spoke up. But then finally in Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Matthew records these words, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. What prophet would that be? That was old Isaiah, right? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the timing was perfect. The timing was perfect. It was perfect because God made it instrumental that it would be perfect. We, we know that God is perfect. We know that his ways are perfect, right? So the timing had to be perfect. But there was probably a lot of people thinking, well, it's about time. which really seems, seems to be God's M.O. You know, God's always right on time, but we tend to think, no, it's about time you showed up and did something. So because we love Jesus and we love his word, we'll agree that the timing was perfect. But honestly, everything else, nothing else, seemed to really make sense. And again, I know this is church on a Sunday morning, and many of you, you know, you've gathered to hear the story, a story that you've heard many, many, many times over the years. But just for a minute, could you just take off your religious classes? Could you take off your churchy lens? And can you just think about it a little bit different than maybe what you normally do? 
The timing was perfect, but nothing else really seemed to be perfect. For example, the nativity scenes that you've seen this season, well, first off, they're wrong. Aren't you, aren't you glad I'm here to tell you that? So all the nativity scenes that you've seen, right? There's Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, right? You got all of that. And then there's, there's the shepherds, and there's the three wise men. Well, the three wise men weren't there. It was probably two years later before the wise men show up. Now that I've really blown your mind, you've got, oh, what are we going to do? It's okay. But it's interesting to me when you think about it. God in the flesh... And they lay baby Jesus in a feed trough. What? Like God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He was there in the beginning. He spoke it all. Everything that is, is because of him. And so he's born. He comes into the world. And he, the timing was perfect. And so they lay this God in a bod in a feed bin. Does that make sense to you? He's in a feed trough in a stable. God could have arranged for him to be born anywhere at any time. I mean, it's already been 740 years. He could have waited another couple of thousand years. I mean, what's a year or two here or there going to matter, right? I mean, but well, the timing was perfect, right? The timing was perfect, but it doesn't seem like the timing was perfect. If it had been me, I would have waited until there was a modern hospital with a sterile delivery room and a, and a full staff of doctors and nurses that's what I would have done if I had been God. I said, if I'm going to come into the world, I'm going to make sure I come with the doctor got some clean hands and wearing gloves. But he didn't. It just seems, honestly, if you're, if you're not into the Jesus thing at all, if you're just on the outside looking in, you would have to admit, you go, And then I think it's just a little strange that Jesus was born in a feed trough in a stable in Bethlehem of all places. Bethlehem was a little more than a suburb of the more significant royal city of Jerusalem. I don't know if this is the case or not, but in my head, it's kind of like, you know, I kind of see Bethlehem kind of like Pelham. I threw y'all there for, I would have said Greer, but hey man, we've come a long way in Greer. You know what I'm talking about? We got a Panera bread. I mean, we got all kind of stuff going on in Greer now. We've like, we've moved up. I think Greenville's probably looking at Greer thinking we were more like, wishing they were more like us, don't you? I mean, what's Pelham got other than a hospital? And so you would just think, you would think, you know what, if, if God were going to come, you just think maybe he would have picked Jerusalem. It's the capital of, of the nation, you would have thought he would have picked a more significant city. I mean, really, if you just if, if stand back just for a second, and if you'll just process the whole Christmas story, you really would probably think things just seem a little bit odd here. Jesus had always lived in a perfect environment. And then I, I wrote this, and this, I don't even know if I understood what I, was, what I wrote until... Actually, just this morning. Jesus had always lived in a perfect environment surrounded by perfect love. Wow. Perfect love. We don't know what perfect love is. We live in a flawed world with things that, that we call human love. It's all we know. Human love is fallible love. Hello, anybody? 
People will tell you they love you. They will look into your eyes and pledge a vow and never keep it. They will promise you things. I will never leave you. You can always count on me. When everybody else walks out, I'll still be standing here beside you. And the truth be told, those people will walk out on you. Good church people will walk out on you. Good Christian people, at least they say they're good Christian people, will walk out on you. And, and Jesus was surrounded by perfect love. Perfect love. In absolute purity. No sin. There was no guilt. There was no shame. He lived in a place where there was this perfect love, surrounded by perfect love and purity that hadn't been tainted by sin. He had always lived in total freedom with no restrictions and no restraints. Freedom. I don't even think any of us probably can wrap our brains around total freedom. He had always been all-powerful. He had never known anything other than he would speak, and it was. In fact, that's the way it was in the beginning. He spoke the world into existence. He had always been. He was all-powerful. And then suddenly, God decides to come to earth, be placed in a feed trough, in a stable, in this little know-nothing podunk town called Bethlehem. It just seems like things are a little off. And so, and so the question I think that has to be asked is why would God do such a thing? Man, this is crazy stuff. Again, we're in church, high, high, 11 o'clock hour on a Sunday morning, the Sunday before Christmas. It's what you've heard your whole life, but you have to admit, it just seems a little strange. And so you have to ask, why would God do such a thing? But you know what crossed my mind this week? I said, you know what? Money and power tend to separate the strong from the weak, don't they? Money and power, we all know it. It does more than just separate the rich from the poor, and we know there's a separation. It separates the strong from the weak. Those of us that have grown up and struggled, we would look at a rich man and say, you can't possibly know what I go through. You haven't had to, you haven't had to, to wonder where your next meal is going to come from or how you're going to make a car payment. You haven't had to struggle. You don't understand what I go through unless that rich man at one time in his life was poor. And then sometimes, even then, they forget from whence they came. Jesus walked humbly so that we could all relate to him. Why would God give up the perfect environment Surrounded by perfect love, not tainted by sin, in purity. Why would God do such a thing? Because he wanted to relate to us. 
Here's how the Bible describes it, Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, here's what you need to do. In your relationships with one another, you just need to have the same mindset that Jesus had. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It, was, it wasn't anything to be grasped or held on to. He let it go. That's what the verse means. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so God, Jesus, put his glory on hold. He put his authority on hold. He put his godness on hold, kind of like we put someone on hold, a line on hold. You know what I'm talking about? It's not that the line has lost its power. It's still there. All you have to do is push a button to activate it. And that's exactly, Jesus was still God. He was God in the flesh, but what he did was he let go of his authority and power and humbled himself to become like us just so that he could identify with us. Is that not like wow to you? The glory of God was put on hold so that he could show us his great love for us. And our hope rests in the fact that God knew when and how to give his son. And Jesus knew when and how to give up his life to die and pay the penalty for all of our sin. It's the most amazing story. And although I've been doing this for years, 35 in fact, and I've been sharing the same story for 35 years. That's why I can still share it with passion. Because once you get that truth, it changes your perspective on life. To know that somebody like you could be loved by the God, the creator of the universe. And that he would go through so much trouble just to be able to identify with you. Is crazy. 1 John 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to the world that we might live through him. And this is love. This is love. We don't know love. We can't comprehend love. Human love is fallible love. This is love. Not that we love God. It's not that we love God. God loving us knows that we will not love him perfectly. And he still loves us. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the only, the only way we have any understanding of love is not by definition, it's by example. It's not words on a page. It's the reality that Jesus was God's son, that he did come, that he went to the cross, and on the cross he paid the penalty for your sin. He didn't sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. Why? Why? Just because he wants a relationship with us. It's crazy. I love this story that comes out of the Vietnam War. Told it once or twice over the years. It seems that there was a Vietnamese orphanage that had been struck by artillery rounds. And uh, this little Vietnamese girl was in critical condition from some shrapnel wounds. When the American medics got there, they realized that she's going to die if she didn't get a blood, blood transfusion. She's losing blood 
incredibly fast. She's going to die. They somehow were able to find this little orphan boy that had the same blood type as she. And although they didn't speak Vietnamese, they were able to communicate with this little boy that what they needed was, was some of his blood to give to her so that she wouldn't die. So they laid him out on this, this little mat and they started to draw blood from his arm. And after just a few minutes, uh, the little fellow began to, he just, his body began to shake all over. And then tears began to stream down his face. And they were scared to death. They said, you know, we can't communicate with him. Well, all of a sudden, this, this nurse, this Vietnamese nurse walked up and they said, can you please just tell him everything's okay? Find Are we hurting him? Is there anything we can do to make him more comfortable? And so that nurse, she, she just she bent down and she whispered. And then with her eyes wide open, she told him, she says, they, he thinks that you're going to take all of his blood and put it into that girl. And they said, well, well, does he understand that if we did that, that he'd die? I mean, if we take all of his blood and we put it in the herd, does he understand that he would die? And she says, yes, he does. Well, then, can you please ask him, why would he be willing to do such a thing? So the nurse bent down and she whispered into his ear once again, And turning back with her eyes filled with tears, she said, because he's my friend. She's my friend. Wow. Why would God do such a thing? Why, why would God come when he did? Why would he come the way he did? Why didn't he wait? Why didn't he wait just a, just a couple of thousand more years? Why didn't he wait until conditions were better, things were better, medical care was better? He came when he did so that there would be no doubt for any of us, no matter how low we may think we are. He came when he did and the way he did because he said, I, there's, there's nothing that I will not go through to prove my love for you. Even death, death on a cross. Wow, that's the power of the Christmas story that always points us to Easter. The timing was perfect. The circumstances were strange and the cost of God giving us His Son was almost too great to imagine. But He did it because He loves us and that's why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is a busy time. If I could just be gut level honest with you, I, I don't know about you, I said this in the first service, it's not in my notes because I'm too ashamed to write it down Then I'd have to read it maybe more than once, but I thought, you know, I don't know. How many of you would say, I'll just be glad when it's over? Anybody? Thank you. The rest of y'all are liars. <laughs> y'all to be on the church staff, and so these, these guys are putting in incredible hours. we got Christmas Eve coming up. This place will be packed for two services, and there's so much that goes into it. It's not just showing up and playing a few songs and, and having a little message. It's, there's more to it than that, and so for some of us, the temptation can be Man, it's just so busy. There's parties to go to, things to, there's presents to buy for the people that you love, and there's so, there's so much that goes into it. I'll just be glad when it's over. 
can I, can I just say that I hope that maybe what you can do, find some time, even if it's just a few minutes, that you can just steal away and maybe read the Christmas story, but maybe read it with a little bit different uh, eyes, a little bit different vision, a little bit different insight, and, and maybe you could have that wow moment where you would realize that the reason all of this took place is just because of God's great love for you. For you. He's crazy about you. And that's not hope that's built on fairy tale. It's fact. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe the reason that you're not is you just never really knew the story. And, and maybe you grew up in the old sunny south and the Bible Belt, and maybe you've heard the story year after year after year, but maybe you didn't understand the complexity of the story, the simplicity of the story, and yet when you look at it, we go, wow, this is crazy. And I never knew that God went through so much just to be able to communicate His love with me. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you'd like to be, you'd love to give your life to a God that's full of that much love, and that much compassion, and that much mercy, and that much grace. That's you. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, then maybe you just pray a simple prayer, something like this. You would just say, wow, God, I had no idea. I never really looked at it that way before. That you would come when you did and the way you did. You chose to do it that way just because you wanted to show me how much you love me. And then Jesus, to think that you would be willing to give your life on a cruel Roman cross to be stripped naked, beat almost to death, stripped naked and, and put on a, a Roman cross to, to allow them to drive nails through your body and into a cross that you would be willing to shed your blood for me is just overwhelming. And I believe that you're alive. I know that you're alive. I can feel your presence. And right now, I just want to ask you to forgive me of all my sin. And I want to fully surrender my life to you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your amazing love. It's in the sweet name of Jesus that we pray. Everybody look this way. Um, what, what better Sunday to partake in communion, the Lord's Supper, than on a Sunday like this? So you can't, you can't think about Christmas without, without moving to Easter. It's just impossible. You just can't do it to think about the price that was paid. So for those of you that might be brand new to church and you never heard of communion or the Lord's Supper and you wonder what that is, we've actually given a card and you actually have that right with you. And so you're probably not going to want to participate with us. That's okay. But you'll have that. So that'll give you something to read and maybe to understand later. If you are a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter whether you're a member of this church or not. You're still welcome to participate. 
It's not a denomination or a church that gives you this opportunity. It literally is God Himself. Jesus, the night before He died, gathered His disciples with Him. It was the time of the Passover. And He took a piece of bread and He blessed it. And looking to what was going to happen in the next few hours, He said, fellas, I'm going to give my body. You can't comprehend this right now. It's too much for you. But I'm going to give my body as a sacrifice for your sin. And every time you gather around this Passover, it's going to take over a new meaning for you. And when you partake of this bread, I want you to think about my body that was given. Then he gave them some wine. And he said, when you take of this wine, I want you to think in terms of my blood. The blood that was shed. I will shed my blood. I will be the Lamb of God. There will be no more sacrificial lambs that will have to be offered every year for the sins of the people. I'm going to give my life, the Lamb of God. And every time you partake of this wine, I want you to think about that price that was given. So this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to participate, to partake of the Lord's Supper. There are stations all around this auditorium. There are some in the back, there's some on the sides, some down front. And so the band's going to play. And as they play... We're going to give you the opportunity just to go to the station that's nearest to you. Take your time. You don't have to be in a hurry. Will you stand with me?